Welcome to Bethesda Broadcast, episode number 16. Today, we have a special Father's Day message from Pastor Roy. In today's message, Pastor Roy talks about four walls that every dad must build in order to protect his family. Even though this is a Father's Day message, it is applicable to everyone. We pray that this message encourages you to fight for your family. One time a little boy was asked to define Father's Day, and he said, it's just like Mother's Day, except you don't spend as much money on the present. (laughs) I thought, is that really true? I don't know. And Bill Cosby said, if the new American father feels bewildered and even defeated, let him take comfort from the fact that whatever he does in any fathering situation, he has a 50% chance of being right. (laughs) And I know in our family, we have a new driver. Uh, Brandon got his temporary permit uh, just a week or two ago. I haven't told him yet, but... uh, Maybe one of the next times he drives, I intend to get in the back seat. And um, I can hear him now thinking I'm getting in the back seat to enjoy the scenery. But I'm actually getting back there to kick the back of the seat like he's done to me the last number of years. (laughs) Um, Every dad can relate to that, can't you? Kick in the back of the seat. If you're not there yet, you'll, you'll get there. Uh, Today I want to share with you, though, four walls that every dad needs to build in order to protect his family. Four walls. Thank you for bringing that up. Um, I want to show you some pictures of walls. This is the Great Wall of China. Um, That's about 15, no, I forget now how many miles it was. I had looked it up. It's it's miles and miles. Um, Does anybody remember off the top of their head? I had it down, but it's a long way. Uh, and it goes across the top of the mountain range, and you can see it's almost like two walls. So uh, you can walk across the top, stretches out across the mountains, and there it is going all the way across uh, the mountains. In ancient times, walls were extremely important, in biblical times too. In fact, they would construct such massive walls, like you could see here, uh, that even in like a city of Nineveh, they said you could take three chariots abreast and go across the top of their wall. In Babylon, they said you could have six chariots abreast and go across the top of the wall. Massive, massive walls. And it's amazing. And all for the purpose of protection. All for the purpose of protection. And so what does the enemy do whenever he sees a wall? Does he run and hide? Or does he still attack? The answer is he still attacks. It doesn't matter if you have no walls at all. If you have no walls, you are very vulnerable to the enemy. Those of us who do have walls and have built walls around our family, we still need to be vigilant because the enemy is trying to attack us in our fortress called the home. And so I want to share with us about these four walls, five strategies used by an enemy to conquer a fortified city because, and I just want to look at these. I know some of you may not be history buffs. Some of you, the only date you're interested in is the one you had last night. But let me share with you these five strategies because the enemy is out to attack us. And we can kind of make a, a spiritual application. Penetration above the walls. They would oftentimes build ladder, these long ladders. Or they would shoot catapults across 
uh, some way to get over the top of these, or they would build ramps uh, up over the wall to get over the top. What was the purpose? To get inside to bring destruction. So the walls were there, and once the enemy invaded the walls, you were in trouble. So they would look to go above. Secondly is direct penetration through the walls or the gates. The gate was the weakest part of the wall. So they would look and try to attack that gate. They would take these uh, battering rams, they would call them. And battering ram is not an animal. A battering ram was a huge wooden beam that oftentimes on the very end of it had an iron ram's head on it and they would ram it into the gates or into the wall trying to cause penetration to get into the wall to destroy the people inside and capture them. Penetration from below the walls. They would build tunnels underneath the walls. Uh, the purpose, again, to get inside. They would actually dig down below the surface and dig a tunnel through anything they could do to get inside. Fourthly, by siege, to cut off all water and food supplies, they would set up their army outside the city walls so that no food or water could come in to starve them out. And so that was another means of, of trying to do that. By ruse, deception, action, or plan intended to deceive someone. Some of you remember the Trojan horse. Deception. Uh, to get inside. So the point is, the enemy is not sitting back, idly waiting. He is engaged in an all-out assault against any walls that we have built up to protect our families. And so dads, we need to understand that, that we are in a spiritual battle. And if we don't understand it, and we don't take it seriously, we are very vulnerable to being destroyed by the enemy because he is out to destroy us. So what are these four walls? Why do we need these walls of protection? Number one, 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He is looking to devour us, and he prowls around looking for people to devour. And guess what? What kind of person is Satan looking to devour? People like you and me. That's who he's looking for. People that are in church especially and who are seeking God, seeking to lead their families the right way, seeking to be godly, whether you're a father, a mother, a child, he is seeking to destroy us. Let's look, for example, at Job 1.1. Job was blameless, upright, feared God, and shunned evil. Did Job get attacked by Satan? Absolutely. He absolutely was attacked, but yet he was a man who was blameless, upright, feared God, and shunned evil. That doesn't keep the enemy away. It attracts him. Because if he can defeat that person, then he can defeat a lot of people around him. So he is out to defeat and destroy us. And we need to understand that if we're going to make a difference, we're going to have to build these four walls carefully. Job 1.7 says, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. And he was looking around, and God says, Have you considered my servant Job? And so there it is. He is roaming the earth even now, looking for someone to devour. He is a powerful enemy, and he's out to destroy us. So wall number one we need to build is spiritual instruction. I cannot emphasize this enough. There is such a neglect of the word of God today in homes. I cannot stress this enough that we need to be involved in spiritual instruction for dads to build this wall and to build it strong the way it needs to be built. Let's look at Joshua 1.8. 
Joshua 1.8 says, Do not let the book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. He says, Don't let it depart out of your mouth. So what is he telling us? First of all, talk about it. You better be around the dinner table around the breakfast table, around every opportunity you have. The Bible says when you sit, when you rise, when you lie down, talk about the Word of God with your kids. Now, sadly, if you don't know it, it's kind of hard to talk about it. We've got to know the Word of God. We've got to know it and be confident and be able to share it with our kids in such a way that is intersecting with their life, where they understand how truth intersects with life, their decisions, their priorities, their values, what is important to them, and what is important to God. To love God with all your heart. We've got to talk about it. Don't let it depart out of your mouth. Keep talking about it. We need dads to be vocal. Don't just be a nonverbal witness. You've got to be a verbal witness. We've got to talk about it. Secondly, you've got to think about it. What does he say? Don't let it depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. Think about it deeply. Don't just read over a passage of Scripture and that's it. Ruminate. Think about it. Concentrate on it. Let it become a part of who we are. It's got to be a part of who we are. We've got to think about it deeply. Thirdly, study it. 2 Timothy 2.15 says that, doesn't it? Study to do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of truth. And that's important, too, that we handle it correctly because there's a lot of people that don't. And so to do everything written in it, we need to study it. How many books are there? 66. How many is God interested in us knowing? 66. Can you imagine a a, a Football coach or basketball coach saying, just learn half the plays. Just half of them would be good. Are you kidding me? He wants you to know all the plays. God wants us to know all of his written revelation. I'm not there yet. Are you? I'm not there. So there's a lot yet I need to learn and study. And we also need to apply it. We need to put it into our life. We need to put it into practice. We need to do what it says. He says, do everything written in it. Apply it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Psalm 1-1 says, Blessed is a man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. The counsel that we get has to come from spiritual instruction, the word of God. It has to come from there. He goes on to say in the second verse, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Let me ask you a question. How can a person meditate on the word of God day and night and play hours of video games? Explain that to me. How can we sit and watch hours and hours of movies being filled with Hollywood I'm not against movies or music or videos, but we've got to be careful. We've got to take time. Then we say we're too busy. We don't have time to study the Bible. I think we have time. We're not using the time we have. And we've got to take the time that we have to use. Reading too many hunting and fishing magazines 
instead of the Word of God. It's vital for spiritual instruction. If we are going to protect our families in this day and age, in this culture, we had better take the Word of God seriously. Wall number two, self-control. Dads, there's no way for us to be successful in protecting our families if we are not protecting ourselves from spiritual attack. If we are messing around on the internet, looking at pornography, looking at magazines, doing things we shouldn't be doing, secret sin, God is not going to bless that. Your walls are destroyed already. They're already destroyed. Steve Farrar tells a story in his book, Getting There, about a man who was in his 40s. He was successful in business and active in his church. Others secretly envied him, his beautiful wife, and his lovely children. He even served on the board at the church. He was deeply involved in promise keepers and Christian marriage conferences. He was on the right trail, and he was building walls around his family. But one day, he got out of bed, and he decided to get on another trail. Unknown to anyone close to him while he was out of town on business, he got hooked on X-rated movies available in his hotel room. Then he started frequenting a gentleman's club while he was on the road. A couple years ago, when he wrote this book, he walked out on his wife and little girls and moved in with a stripper. Everyone used to think this guy was a class act, but he left his wife and little girls for a stripper. Now, why in the world would a guy do that? I'll tell you why. Because he stopped building walls around his own life and his family, and the enemy destroyed him. It's a daily walk we have with Jesus. What I did last year doesn't matter. What I did last week doesn't matter. What I did yesterday doesn't matter. I've got to walk with Jesus today. You've got to walk with Jesus today. If dads are going to make a difference, we have to put self-control into our lives. There's a lot of dads who are out of control. Look at this verse. Proverbs 25, 28. Like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. What he's saying is this, a city that the walls are destroyed is vulnerable to attack and destruction. A man who does not have self-control has no walls of protection around him. He is vulnerable to attack. And we have a lot of undisciplined people, don't we, are being attacked. Even if we have built walls, we will be attacked. The only difference is we have a protection against the enemy. I, ha I thought this was humorous. Somebody defined self-control with the capacity to break a chocolate bar into four pieces with your bare hands and only eat one piece. I thought that was good. You see, if I cannot govern my own spirit, how can I reasonably expect to be able to govern a wife and children? A Chinese maxim said, who can govern who can govern himself is fit to govern the world. Alexander the Great was able to conquer the known world, yet he could not conquer himself. The story is told of Alexander the Great, one of the few men in history who seemed to deserve his descriptive title. He was energetic, versatile, and intelligent. 
Although hatred was not generally part of his nature, several times in his life he was tragically defeated by anger. The story is told of one of these occasions when a dear friend of Alexander, a general in his army, became intoxicated and began to ridicule the emperor in front of his men. Blinded by anger and quick as lightning, Alexander snatched a spear from the hand of a soldier and hurled it at his friend. Although he only intended to scare the drunken general, his aim was true and his spear took the life of his childhood friend. Deep remorse followed his anger. Overcome with guilt, Alexander attempted to take his own life with the same spear, but he was stopped by his men. For days he lay sick, calling for his friend and chiding himself as a murderer. Alexander the Great conquered many cities and vanquished many countries, but he failed miserably to control his own spirit. Now, self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. We cannot have self-control apart from the Spirit of God controlling us. It really requires the Spirit of God in control of us for us to be able to exercise self-control. The verse that I read a moment ago about being self-controlled here, be self-controlled and alert. This is the first part of this verse. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. But notice, be self-controlled and alert. It's the idea of being sober-minded and watchful. To have a sound mind, to be clear-headed and not drunk. Someone who's drunk is out of their mind. They can't see reality. They don't see perception right. For us to be in self-control, to be clear-minded we need to be in our right mind and not controlled by some other substance, not poisoned by a drug or a toxic substance. A mind that is not becoming intoxicated with the beliefs and attitudes of the world. That's a sober mind. We need a disciplined mind to do that. A disciplined mind Notice he says in 1 Peter 1.13, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given when Jesus Christ is revealed. Prepare your minds for action. What do you do to prepare your mind? Day by day? How do you think godly thoughts? The Bible says, How will a young man keep his way pure? By taking heed thereto according to God's word. That's how. Um, we've got to do that. And to prepare our minds for action, we've got to take in spiritual instruction. We've got to practice self-control to prepare our minds for action. Secondly, we need a biblical mind. That's why we need this spiritual instruction. We've got to take it in. We've got to understand it. We've got to comprehend it so we can communicate it to the next generation. They've got to see that it means something, that it's important to me. I can guarantee you, my kids know what's important to me. They know what the priorities are in my life. Not by what I say, by what I do. And your kids do as well, and grandkids. Romans 5.5, 5, those who live according to sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those 
who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. So the question is, what am I setting my mind on? Am I setting my mind on the things of God and what would please the Lord? Also, with self-control, we need to control our passions, desires, and affections. It is crucial that we do this. I've listed four areas, and there could be more. Our tongue. (laughs) Our speech. What we say. We need to be careful. There was a young man who was sent to Socrates to learn oratory. On being introduced to the philosopher, he talked so incessantly that Socrates asked for double fees. (laughs) Why are you charging me double? He said, I've got to teach you two sciences. The one, how to hold your tongue, and the other one, how to speak. It's crucial. And sometimes the first one is the most challenging. To control our affections, passions, and desires. Our tongue is vital. Secondly, our money. Overspending, buying things we can't afford, running credit card debt up, not being able to give to the church because I'm, I've got a, a debt around my neck. Some of us need to perform plastic surgery where you get out the credit card and you get out the scissors and you cut it in half and you throw it away. If you don't control it and you don't pay it off every month, you need to perform plastic surgery. Debt is bondage. And there's a lot of families living in bondage. And they say, well, I can't give to the church. Then you're living in disobedience to God. Plain and simple. Because he talks about giving to the church. And unfortunately, we can shop today without ever leaving our home. We can just click on the internet and we can spend all our money without even leaving the front door. (laughs) Isn't that wonderful? (laughs) Uh, But our money, it's crucial. What we do with it. And we need to be careful with it. Thirdly is our workload. Now I realize as farmers and various things, you have busy seasons and you're going to work lots of hours. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about in general where your schedule is out of control and you're not spending adequate time with your wife and children. That is vital. If we're going to build these walls, self-control of our workload is important. I started working on my doctorate before I moved here. I have not picked it back up since we've moved here. You know why? Time is one of the reasons. The other reason is God hasn't really encouraged me, and and, and I felt like he has encouraged me to do that. But time is vital. We have to measure what we do and how we do it. Our workload, our emotions as well. Avoid being driven by emotions. Unbridled passion can cost a person a great deal. Instead of practicing self-control, we engage in self-indulgence. Our emotions are important. You know, sometimes it's just the people you hang around. The reason you don't have self-control is you hang around other undisciplined people and other unsuccessful people, and you pick up their habits. I remember one guy used to say, don't hang around unsuccessful Christians. I mean, why? Uh, Be very limited on your time of doing that. 
because they're going to lead you down the wrong path. And pretty soon your affections get all messed up when you do that. So we need to control those very carefully. Thomas Kempis said, No conflict is so severe as he who labors to subdue himself. And I think it's true. Wall number three, servant leadership. If we're going to lead our families, we've got to practice servant leadership. You should never have to run around and say, you need to submit to me, you've got to do this and that. I've never had to say to my wife in 20 years of marriage, you need to submit to me. Submission when a husband is loving his wife as Christ loved the church, submission usually will happen because that's what a wife wants and needs. And we've got to run around hollering submission, there's something wrong. Your authority is out of control. So how do we demonstrate this to be a man of prayer? Husbands, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. It is vital that we pray for our wives and children to be a man of prayer, to pray for our families, to pray with our families. One of the most wonderful times we had as a family was when we prayed about moving to South Dakota. Now, it was hard because our boys wanted to share with their friends, and they were pretty young. We said, you can't share with your friends. (laughs) They can't know about that. Well, Dad, you're telling your friends. I said, but I need references. (laughs) I had to have six references. It was hard to explain that to a little boy. You're telling your friends. Um, because they watched that example. But what a wonderful time in bringing our family together and praying about this together and talking with the boys and how do you feel about this and what is God doing in your heart. and Just a wonderful time. And it's a wonderful time of growth to be able to do that as a family. Servant leadership is vital. 1 Peter 4, 7, I don't have this on the slide, but let me read this for you. The end of all things is near, therefore be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. See, self-control even comes into prayer. Some of us are so out of control, we don't even have the discipline to pray. And we need to pray. We also need to embrace humility. 1 Corinthians 11.3 might not be a verse you would readily turn to. But it says, Now I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ. And the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Notice, the head of every man is Christ. And therefore, we surrender and submit to Christ, and the only way we can do that is with a position of humility. He's in control. He's the authority. He's the head of the man. And we are in subjection to him. And our children and our wives need to see us humbled before God to be that leader that God wants us to be. Thirdly, reject passivity. I have never in all my years of ministry seen so many passive men in all my life. Passive, who won't take the leadership, who won't be involved in discipline. And taking leadership, reject passivity. 
Ephesians 5.23 says, The husband is the head of the wife, and as the head, you have a responsibility to lead, and you cannot do that passively. You've got to do it actively. And if you need a book to help you, I've got, I've got resources I could mention to you. Get Steve Farrar's book, Getting There. Get Steve Farrar's book, Point Man. There's lots of books out there. There's other book on Anchor Man. Uh, lots of books out there that we can read to help us be the leaders we need to be. That's all I learn. I read. But you know what I hear men say? I don't read. Is that because you can't physically do it or you just don't want to? They say the person who doesn't read is no better than the person who can't. We have the resources, guys. We need to take it to heart. Read it. Take it in. Reject passivity. We cannot be complacent in our leadership. For they love your wife and children. He says the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. And he goes on and says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. A dad with servant leadership will strive to understand his wife. Wall number four, suitable discipline. Somebody wisely said when it comes to discipline of children, you cannot change your ancestors, but you can do something about your descendants. I thought that was good. Lord Rochester in 1675 said, before I got married, I had six theories about raising children. Now I have six children and no theories. <laughs> I thought, boy, how true that is. You got all the answers in the world before you have children, and then once you have them, wait a minute, where, where, did, it, where did it go wrong? <laughs> this isn't the way it's supposed to work. Um, it's hard. A young student of child behavior frequently delivered a lecture called Ten Commandments for Parents. He married and became a father. The title of the lecture was altered to Ten Hints for Parents. Another child arrived. The lecture became Some Suggestions for Parents. A third child was born. So the story goes, the lecturer stopped lecturing. <laughs> Because there's no read a book, raise a child. Uh, it's, it's, it's us constantly asking God for wisdom and grace in doing it. But let me just quickly say this. Discipline that is biblical, rational, thoughtful, wise, and practical is what we want to do as much as possible. Will we make mistakes? I've made many. <laughs> Will I make more mistakes? I'm sure. But we don't quit. We've got to keep working at it and doing what we can. Biblical. Proverbs 22, 6 says what? Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Training is crucial. That doesn't happen with passivity. What do you want that child to be? What do you want that child to do? What do you want that child to believe and think? I put specific books in hands to read. Uh, one of the books that I gave my boys is Thoughts for Young Men. As young men, they need to know how to think. The book was written in the 1800s. Whatever you can do to get them to think, and we talk about it, we read it and we talk about it, it's crucial. 
that we do these things. Biblical. He says in Proverbs 23, 13, and 14, Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish him with the rod, he will not die. Punish him with the rod and save his soul from death. There are some parents who don't believe in spanking, then you don't believe in the Bible. I'll tell you, my dad believed in the rod. <laughs> he believed in the belt, too. <laughs> I experienced all of them. You know what? You're thankful down the road. Thankfully, he didn't kill me. <laughs> but you know what? He did it because he loved me. And if we discipline with a spirit of love, we don't do it to abuse children. The purpose is correction, not abuse. You can be abusive, too. Don't do that. Don't be abusive and inflict injury on them. Pain, yes. Injury, no. Pain is crucial, too, that it hurts to do wrong. It's vital. Secondly, rational. It needs to be rational. Proverbs 20, 30 says, Blows and wounds cleanse away evil, and beatings purge the inmost being. What he's saying is spanking does have positive effects. They think twice before they do it again. You know, one of the uh, things our kids used to do was when we'd send them to their room and think about it, and then we would come in later, and one of their first questions was, how many? <laughs> how many is it this time? Because we would say, here's how many it's going to be. They knew it was coming. I'm glad we're past those days. <laughs> Thoughtful. Proverbs 13, 24. He who spares a rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. Careful, thoughtful discipline is crucial. It's required for godly parents. If we're going to build walls of protection around our family, disciplining our children is crucial. Fourthly, wise. He says in Proverbs 29, 15, the rod of correction imparts wisdom. But a child left to himself disgraces his mother. And I got to tell you young people something. If you mouth back to your parents, you are breaking the commandment of Scripture. I don't care who they are. Showing respect to your parents and respect to authority is crucial. And if you have misunderstandings, you need to sit down and talk about it together and come to that understanding. But it's crucial that we have that and we understand authority and respect. And the reason I say that is I see so much disrespect of young people today who are not respecting their parents and they're going to have problems with authority down the road. Probably already are. It's crucial that we respect authority. If you cannot, let me just say this quickly, if you do not respect the authority you can see, you will never respond and respect the authority you can't see. You follow me? Yeah, God. It's crucial. Practical as well. He says in Hebrews 12, 11, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Yes, it should be painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. 
So in closing, if we're going to build a walls of protection around our family, we need these four things. Spiritual instruction, self-control, servant leadership, and this last one of discipline. Let's stand for a word of prayer. I would ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. As you reflect on the message, I am going to ask the group from Hope for the Hood who are traveling next Sunday to make their way down to the front here and just stand across the front. We're going to have a closing prayer for you and your team, as well as John and Beth Duba. We want them to come forward as well uh, as they lead Byron Bible Camp and have lots of camps uh, going on this summer, and we want to be praying for their ministry as well. But while we do, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you would just for a moment, would you give thought to the message? How are you doing with spiritual instruction? And please take this, don't realize that we all fall short of God's standard. I don't want to discourage you and walk out of here. The goal is to encourage you. If you don't do it, start. If you are doing it, let it be an encouragement to thrust you forward. And maybe it's just a reminder. Maybe it's slid on you in recent days. So you know what? Thanks for the reminder, Pastor. It's so important. Our schedules are so full, and we're going to have to prioritize things in our life of what is the most important. And that requires self-control to do that. So may God help us. Maybe you're here this morning, whether you're a dad or, or somebody else, and you've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You cannot apply these things that I talked about this morning without a personal relationship with Jesus and to realize that you violated his law. And because of that, we are guilty before a holy God. But God in his grace and goodness sent his only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our violation, our sin, our transgression. He paid the penalty in full that we could be forgiven and cleansed. If you have questions about that or would like to pray to receive Christ, I'll be shaking hands after the service in the back. Please see myself or someone else. Or if you have some other spiritual need, we would be glad to pray with you about that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for our fathers. Lord, we thank you for godly fathers. I thank you for my father who raised me in a place where early in life I could hear the gospel and respond to it. And Lord, I realize that there are many, maybe even some here today, who did not have that privilege. But God, you are gracious and you want to be their father. You want to minister to them. Lord, you can bring healing from past hurts, healing from past disappointments. Lord, you can empower them to be the dad that they never had to their children and the husband to their wife that their wife needs. Lord, I thank you that you don't leave us as orphans, but you empower us 
to take the leadership role of our families, and you empower us by your Spirit to be the leaders we need to be. Lord, these are desperate days, and we need your power. We need your grace. Lord, we need you to help us be men of prayer, to be people of prayer, to seek you and embrace a life of humility and surrender. God, help us do that and give us wisdom in caring for our wives and children and disciplining our children in the right way, in a way that would honor you and in a way that would yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Lord, I also pause to pray for the Chicago team as they'll be heading out for Hope for the Hood next Sunday early. Lord, I pray that you will give them safety and travel. I pray that you will do a spiritual work in their lives, that they will come back changed. And Lord, too, that they will see lives changed for time and eternity as the gospel is shared. We just pray that you will help them work together as a team and as they melt together with Hope Church in Chicago, we pray for a great report. Lord, encourage the church there in their labors as they serve you. Lord, I also pray for John and Beth Duba and their family and their, their workers around them and the counselors and the teachers who will be instructing people in your word. Lord, we just pray that you will use all aspects of the camp, mealtime and recreation time, and Lord, that you would use all aspects of the camp to strengthen the faith of these kids and young people. I pray that they will drive down spiritual stakes that will not be moved, that they will not be compromised, that they'll grow up to be men and women of courage because of Byron Bible Camp and their impact. Lord, we thank you for meeting with us today. I pray a special blessing on all of our fathers today. Lord, help us honor you in all that we do. We pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you. Have a great Lord's Day. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. If you have any questions or want to know more about our church, please go to our website at www.bchweb.org or find us on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.